Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area, but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each shall bear his own load or burden. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. I have shortened our expectations this morning. At first, I was starting off this week thinking I was going to try to make an attempt to finish this chapter because next week starts Advent. And, you know, I started looking at it and it's like, yeah, you're a real idiot if you think that you can do that. I'm hoping I can get down through verse 5. So we'll see. But anyway, so I've shortened our expectations And there's no way that we're going to finish the rest of this chapter before Advent, but we are going to pause anyway, probably. (laughs) You know, I may change, change my mind. And plus, then I'm so forgetful. And by the way, that's the reason why you should come to church, is because you're forgetful. And when you come to church, you're reminded to trust in the Lord. You're reminded to acknowledge your sinfulness. You're reminded to seek forgiveness from Christ. You're reminded and reminded, because we're forgetful, right? Even right now, I am struggling with this thing. If there's two things that you've seen me wrestle with, like the earpiece that I don't have on this morning or the last two weeks. I was struggling with it last week, even before we started, and I'm like, fooey on that. It is helpful because we record, uh, we record the service, but, um, and so that's, that's helpful in the recording, but I, I fight with it. And so every week I'm like, I am going to get that fixed before next Sunday. Every week I say, I'm going to tape this thing down so I don't sit here and fight with it. And guess what? Every week I come stand up here and it's like, oh, I didn't tape it down. Why? Because we're forgetful, right? We're forgetful. And if you don't think that you're forgetful, uh, you're deceiving yourselves. All we have to do, I mean, think of this. I mean, even being absent from the body of Christ and being absent from the presence of Christ and being absent from the means of grace just for one week. How far astray do you go in a week? (laughs) Right? We're forgetful. We are forgetful. That's the reason why we make New Year's resolutions, and we're gearing up for it, right? It's right around the corner. We make them on New Year's Eve, and a couple days later, we've broken them all, right? Because we're forgetful. We're determined at that moment, and we're sincere, right? 
We're determined at that moment, we're going to make these changes. We're going to do this. We're not going to do that. And it doesn't take long till we've forgotten that we even made those resolutions. Does anyone remember any resolutions you made last year? Now you've already forgotten them, huh? <laughs> That's the way it works. We are a forgetful people. And there must be this constant reminder over and over and over and over again. And that is a terrible plight for the day and age in which we live where everybody always wants something new. We always have to have something new because we always need that sensation. We want that dopamine rush on something new. But something old is where it's at. And something repetitive is where it's at. Uh, Because we must constantly be reminded. Anyway, I don't know how I got from there to there, but we did. So we're going to fall short of completing this epistle to Galatians before the start of Advent. And most likely, I will just finish the remainder of the chapter sometime next year. uh, In January or February, it all depends upon how everything falls into place. So starting next week, we will be focusing on the Advent of Christ leading up to Christmas. And from a church point, this is an exciting year because it kind of forces us to do what we should already be doing and what the church has historically done throughout centuries and we are negligent in our duties today as Christians when it comes to practicing the faith because we think it's all about believing the faith and not practicing the faith and that this is good enough just to assent and say oh yeah well you know of of course I'm a Christian I, I live in America and I have an American flag on my front lawn. Of course I'm Christian. You know, not that kind of uh, Christianity, but a practicing faith. And so this year it kind of forces us into some things that um, we've neglected. So we'll have four weeks of Advent Sundays. And then it comes to a conclusion with a Christmas Sunday. That's awesome this year. And so what that means is we will celebrate the full intention of the holiday in a religious manner according to the original intent of that holiday or holy day. We will also celebrate, Lord willing, with a Christmas, a candlelight Christmas Eve service. So in some sense, it'll be very ancient this year which is a good thing because that's really the direction we need to be headed. Advent simply means coming, and we are talking about the first advent of Jesus Christ who took on the form of a man to bring salvation to the world. And so we look back on the first advent because it was the death and resurrection of Christ that gives hope for today to look forward to his second advent when he will come to set everything right at this consummation. But today we are considering further our text here in Galatians chapter 6. And so kind of recapping here momentarily, um, as we consider what we have looked at so far, it brings us to making some considerations um, concerning this passage, not only in verse number 1, but this whole section in the first five verses. And it kind of draws this question to mind. It kind of forces us to think about this. And a question that we should be asking, really, 
in American Christianity and in the Western world, and that is this. Why is there no reconciliation? Now, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is specifically talking about reconciliation within the church. But there are other places where Jesus or the apostles spoke about external reconciliation in relation to the world. And so basically what we're talking about is external and internal evangelism. Paul, in our text, is specifically talking about internal evangelism in the church. And that comes as a shock to American Christians today. It's like, we're supposed to evangelize Christians and believers? Yes, absolutely. So why is there no reconciliation? Well, the answer to that question is, first of all, because there's no evangelization, right? I mean, what is our commission? It's to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every creature, just like God told Ezekiel to warn the wicked and warn the righteous to every creature. We're to take the gospel to every creature, and we're to baptize those who believe. Those who trust Christ, we're to baptize them in the name of the triune God, and then we are to disciple them in the faith, to be practicing Christians. So there isn't any evangelization that takes place today, so there's no reconciliation, not internally or externally. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest lest you also be tempted. This should sound glorious to us. This should be exciting news, because this is good news. What Paul is talking about here is part of the good news. It's part of the gospel. And that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And so when you or I are overtaken in any trespass, there's good news. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. This should be exciting to hear that there is a ministry of reconciliation in and through Christ and his church. So that we should have hope. We'll have to live in despair and anguish. We can have peace and comfort and hope. but only when there's reconciliation. So the reason why we don't have peace and comfort and hope is because there's no reconciliation. We're not reconciled to God, we're not reconciled to Christ, and we're not reconciled to Christ's church, one another. But this is the prophecy of the Messiah. It is good news in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 22. The prophecy concerning the Messiah that was to come in which we refer to as the first advent, it is revealed to Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, in this prophecy of the 70 weeks that was given to Daniel, concerning the Messiah that was going to be revealed at the conclusion of that time frame, it is revealed that one of the purposes of the Messiah 
in his first advent, coming into the world, is to make reconciliation. Paul said it this way, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, reconcile them to God, because our sins had separated us from God, with original sin, with Adam in the garden, and then all of our subsequent sinning thereafter, Our sins had separated us from God, but Jesus Christ came to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Paul says, for when we were enemies, talking about being enemies to God, we were the enemies of God because we were in rebellion and defiance against him. He says that even when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son and much more. Because we have been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. In other words, there's no excuse. We can't put it off to the future. It's like, well, that's for another time, and that's for the second advent. Nope, it is made very clear in Scripture, that now is the time of reconciliation. Now is the day of salvation. If we don't neglect it. If we don't reject it. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us, This ministry of reconciliation. So God reconciles us and then he sends us out to be ambassadors to reconcile others. That's what he says. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them or their sins. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation and then goes on to say, now then we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So why is there no reconciliation today? Well, we can read about a lot of great, about great events throughout history. When there was the expansion of the church and the expansion of Christianity. I mean, think about... Uh, think about how glorious it was in the first century when the apostles were sent out by Christ under in a culture that was completely dominated by the Roman Empire. In a culture that was pagan. In a culture where they were persecuted, hunted down like dogs and killed and burned at the stake. But yet, in very short order. As a matter of fact, less than 300 years. Christianity had completely saturated the Roman Empire. So much so that the emperor in the late 200s, up to around 300 AD, became a Christian. 
and establish Christianity as the official religion of the Roman Empire. You see, we can read about great things in history like that. But today it's all decline and deconstruction. It's not what you read in Scripture, by the way. What we are seeing the church manifest today is completely contrary to the Word of God. He that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Which must mean that our faith is pretty small and weak today, right? Because all we see now today is decline and deconstruction. Well, what's the problem? Well, it's not rocket science. and It's not hard. It's not difficult. As a matter of fact, not only do you not have to know algebra, but you don't even know, have to know basic math. It's that simple. Notice in our text here that you have brethren... So why is there no reconciliation in the church? Okay, that's where we're starting at because that's where our text is focused, inside the church. There's a lot to be said about outside the church and so forth, but right now we're dealing with Galatians chapter 6, Paul talking to the churches at Galatia, and he's talking about reconciliation within the church, unity and peace. And so, first of all, what you find here is brethren who are overtaken in any trespass, and then you find brethren who are spiritual. So, you, so if, if you're going to have reconciliation, you have to have the two parties. And then something has to happen, right? Between the two parties. First of all, with the trespassing brethren, we have talked about this, so we're not going to spend but a moment. We have considered trespassing brethren in previous weeks, pointing out that Paul considers them brethren and that they are in communion with each other. These are brethren who have been overtaken, overpowered, and surprised in any trespass. Any trespass that you find in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, as we have pointed out. Which means any transgression against the law of God. So we have these brethren here who are overtaken in any trespass. These are brethren who have been overtaken. They are not those who are deliberately in the pride of rebellion pursuing trespasses. No, they were overtaken. There's a difference between being overtaken and pursuing. You understand that, right? There's a difference? Okay. So, you have a man... who's trying to live a faithful life, be a good husband, good father, good employee or business owner. He is striving to be a good churchman. In other words, he's pursuing righteousness. He's pursuing good things. He's pursuing things of God. And then all of a sudden you hear something, you're like, whoa! I didn't see that happening. I didn't see that coming. Right? He was overtaken. He was overpowered. He, it's a surprise. It's a shock. And then there are other people where you're like, well, <laughs> I, well I figured. 
That's not surprising. You know, the man that was pursuing righteousness, well, he got an email, and there was some fleshly temptation, and it just says, click here, and he clicks there. He's overpowered, surprised, overtaken in a fault. It's not like he sits around and watches porn. And then there's the guy that sits around drinking in a strip club all the time. When you hear about one transgression, it's a surprise to find out that he was overtaken. When you hear about the other, it's no surprise because that's what he's pursuing. You see, the difference here, what we're talking about is a man, not a man who is pursuing those things, but a man who is pursuing righteousness, but he falls. He's overtaken in a fault. These are those who are the, the ones, these are not those, I should say, these are not those who are deliberately seeking after sin. They're overtaken. And then there's the spiritual brethren that we haven't considered much of other than to point out what the spirituality is. But the second reason why there's not an environment of reconciliation or restoration of brethren is because you have to have spiritual brethren to restore them. This is the work of internal evangelism, and basically it does not exist today on two levels. We are lacking, first of all, in pastoral care, and secondly, we are lacking in brotherly love among the body of Christ. See, it's not just the role of pastors and elders, but it's a function of the whole body to take care of one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to live in brotherly love. It takes a church. It doesn't take a village, but it does take a church. Hillary was so close, but so far. It takes a church. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the only institution that will exist forever. But we're lacking in pastoral care. We're lacking in brotherly love because, listen, it takes a church that possesses spiritual brethren for there to be reconciliation. And what do we mean by spiritual? Well, those who have grown in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so as not to walk in the flesh, which is the fulfilling of natural lusts, but to walk in the spirit, as Paul said in chapter 5, in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and the ears are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you wish. But if you're led of the Spirit, you are not under that law, that dominion of sin. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, wrath, 
Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and so on. That is not the spirit. That is the flesh. But it's not just avoiding those things to be spiritual. It's part of it. But it's not just that. It's not just enough to say, well, I don't murder people. I've never murdered anyone. No, because it's more than that. It's more than not not fulfilling the works of the flesh. It's more than not disobeying the commands of God. It is also proactively walking in the Spirit, which means this. Walking in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You have to have spiritual people to reconcile brethren when they slip and fall. And the reason why there isn't any reconciliation is because we're not focused upon those things today. We don't care about those things today. Sometimes it has been through deception and other times through apathy. But either way, you end up with no reconciliation. So what are the purposes of this passage? Number one, it's to restore the fallen. We mentioned this, no man left behind. We ought to be better than the Marine Corps. And then secondly, to strengthen the brethren. Okay, so we're to restore the fallen. If a man's overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Secondly, it is to strengthen the brethren. How does it strengthen the rest of the body? Remember, God's working all things together for good, right? God's going to bring good out of evil. So even when evil exists in the body of Christ, a man's overtaken in a fault, it's going to strengthen the brethren if they're engaged in the ministry of reconciliation. It's going to restore him, and then it's going to strengthen them. How is it going to strengthen them? Because Paul says that we are to restore that person in consideration or self-examination of ourselves. That could have been me. But also, he says, let everyone examine his own work in this ministry of reconciliation. It's going to strengthen us so that we can bear our own load in this work. And then, notice, it is to teach us to love the brethren. This ministry of reconciliation and working to restore those who have been overtaken in any trespass will teach us to love them. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember back in chapter 5, Paul said in verse 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, but don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh to serve yourself, but use it to serve one another in love. That's how we are to use our liberty in Christ. And then he says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your first neighbor? Your wife, husband, children, those in whom which you dwell with, 
And then who's your neighbor? Ecclesiastically, those who you dwell with in the body of Christ. That's your first neighbors, right? So, we're to love our neighbors ourselves and serve one another. In Romans chapter 15, we are told, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The whole purpose is to support them, to lift them up, to restore them. This is why Paul told the Thessalonians, he exhorted them. He says, now I exhort you. That's a strong word of encouragement. It's not just encouraging, though. He's exhorting them. And in exhorting them, it is a strong, commanding encouragement. So he says, I exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So we are, this, the purpose of this passage is to teach us to love the brethren. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ, by the way? In John chapter 13, our Lord said, If I then be your Lord and Master, or as your Lord and Master, have washed your feet. This was on the occasion when Jesus, displaying humility towards his disciples in order to teach them to love and serve one another, because what were the disciples always concerned about? Who is going to be the greatest? Who gets to sit at your right hand in the kingdom? (coughs) Who? is the best. Who's the most spiritual? And so what Jesus, as the perfect one did, took the occasion to humble himself as a servant and wash their feet. He says, so if I'm your Lord and Master and I have humbled myself to wash your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. In other words, you ought to humble yourself and serve each other. And then he says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. In John chapter 13, verse 34, just a little bit later in that chapter, Jesus tells his disciples, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. He repeats it. He states it first by saying that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In John chapter 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. James, the apostle, in his epistle repeats this by saying, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. The apostle John, in writing in his first little epistle, He says in chapter 2 and verse 8, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now. 
He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. And then in chapter 4, the Apostle John says, And this commandment have we found from him, talking about Jesus, that he who loves God loves his brother also. So what is this law of Christ? That you bear one another's burdens. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ, by bearing one another's burdens. It's not just saying I love you, it's showing that you love them by bearing their burdens. It's by considering yourself, putting yourself in their shoes and considering yourself If a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, but let a man examine his own work. So the fulfilling of the law of Christ is bearing one another's burdens. As a matter of fact, this is what we find even written in the law in Exodus 23, 5. If you see the ass of him that hates you lying under his burden and would forbear to help him, you shall surely help with him. Isaiah chapter 58, is this, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Jesus, in his condemnation against the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, as he is giving his woes unto them, He talks about the lawyers and he pronounces woe upon them. And he says, for you burden down men with burdens grievous to be born, but you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You were not to burden down, we're to bear one another's burdens. We're not to overburden, but bear one another's burdens. And then Jesus said this, Quoting Isaiah 56 to describe his ministry, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is what made the Pharisees angry, that Jesus was a reconciler. All Pharisees get mad at reconciliation. And the reason why there's been a lot of anger in the church directed towards the fallen is because we were Pharisees. Pharisees don't like reconciliation. And then, notice... Let me see, I'm kind of regathering myself here and then notice in verse number three for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing he deceives himself which is basically a rebellion against the law of christ because if we're bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of christ which is love for the brethren we will esteem them higher than ourselves we'll be more concerned about them than we are about ourselves We'll be more concerned about their welfare than our welfare. But notice he says, 
Be careful, because if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself with the implication that they, that they are rebellion, rebelling against the law of Christ, not bearing one another's burdens, not loving the brethren because they think themselves to be something. I'm too good to get my hands dirty. With those filthy, rotten sinners. See, that's what made the publicans mad because Jesus came and he ate and drank with sinners and publicans and harlots. Not to leave them in their sin, but to reconcile them to God by turning away from their sin. So, we've got to be careful about this rebellion against the law of Christ. And then notice in verse number four, we're to prove the law of Christ in self-examination. And then, in verse number five, we are to bear the law of Christ. The spiritual and the goal for us and for each member of Christ is to bear his own load in the ministry of reconciliation. So that's what we're trying to reach. We have a goal. Not to leave the burdened in their burdens, but to bear their burdens, to lift them up, to restore them, so that they will be able to stand, ultimately. It's my desire, and I pray that it is yours, that the church as a whole, and that we here at Holy Trinity, would become a church that restores those who have been overtaken back to God. How many casualties do you think there are out in our society right now? Men and women who belong to the church, who were overtaken in a trespass and they were never restored. How many do you think there are? Lots. We didn't restore them then. We should make it our endeavor to restore them now. And of course, you know, we can broaden that because we're not just talking about ultimately in the ministry of reconciliation. We're not just talking about those who were within the church. We're talking about the whole world, right? We are to be a ministry of reconciliation to all men and to all women. To restore those who have been overtaken back to God through the ministry of reconciliation through Christ and his church. We have a hymn that we sing called Rescue the Perishing and just listen to the lyrics. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. The second verse Though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Then verse 3, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness. Clouds that were broken will vibrate once more. And then the last verse, rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. May God help us. Father, we acknowledge and confess our sins that we have not been concerned 
about those who have been overtaken in any trespass. And the truth of the matter is that we have not had a concern for the reconciliation of sinners, even though you came and the purpose for your coming was to save sinners. But yet we have been apathetic without any concern, not only for those who were our brethren who slipped and fell, and we just left them, bleeding out on the field for Satan to devour. But we have had no concern for all the prisoners and slaves who have been chained in darkness under the dominion of Satan. And Father, the sad fact and the sad truth remains upon us for which we are ashamed that we have not given a damn about the damned. And Father, we pray that you would help us to have a love for your creation, to have a love for humanity, to have a love for our family, to have a love for our neighbors, and that we would seek reconciliation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Forgive us in our failures. Forgive us in our lack of love. And we have put a focus on so many things. But we know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that though we give our body to be burned, though we speak with the tongues of angels, and though we do all these mighty deeds that without love, it is nothing. Lord, we pray that you would grant us love for the souls of men. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.